Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, I think we have an awesome show lineup for today. Some very interesting and timely information that we'll be sharing. You know, we're going to start off here talking about how the hot stocks can make you rich, but probably, probably won't. not. <laughs> yeah, this is really a fascinating article. We were just kind of talking about this before we uh, turned this thing on. And, um, you know, it's it's sexy when you think about uh, Facebook and Amazon and um, you know, it sounds easy to buy stocks and make money, but when you look back at the statistics, not so much. And, um, so we're going to dive into this, spend a lot of time on it. Very, very interesting. And, um, I think you, you know, people out there listening will learn a lot from this segment. Yeah. Very interesting statistics and really debunk some of the common thoughts about, you know, stock picking and that sort of stuff. So I, I, I really like this article. I'm looking forward to talking about that. And then we're going to follow that up with the eight mistakes to avoid with your IRA. You know, there's some, just some common mistakes people make when it comes to rolling things over and getting IRAs set up and naming beneficiaries and all those things. So we're going to dive into that. You want to make sure with your retirement plan that you avoid some of these common mistakes because they can be very, very costly. So that's a great topic as, as well. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 20 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every week on Friday afternoons. Yeah, you can go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast. You can listen to it right on the website. I uh, also have videos, um, doing a lot of educational type uh, discussions out there about market corrections and and long-term care insurance and, you know, a lot of different topics that we uh, talk about on the podcast, but little short snippets, you know, one to two minute videos. We also have a Facebook page. Check us out on that. We have videos on the prescription of the week. We also have a, re- a new retirement uh, calculator calculator yes. on our website. Very nice. Yeah, so you can plug in your information, and it will give you a basic projection of what your retirement numbers look like, which mm, is a great starting right. place. Um, so go on the website, check that out. Um, it'll email you a nice printout, nice PDF of what your retirement picture looks like. So if you haven't you know, had a more detailed plan drawn up, that's a great place to start. Check us out on the website there. Um, Let's see. And uh, Josh, uh, John, you can also check us out on our website by emailing us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can link to us there directly or you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Okay, so we got to talk a little bit of football before we jump into it. Not really. You no. know, it is football we, season. We've it's in football. the air. No. And, you know, it's, it's feeling so good out there, John. You know, the, the weather's cooled down a little bit. It's football time. This man. is a good this time on a Saturday afternoon to go out and look at the the leaves. They're starting to turn a little bit. So the football <laughs> stuff, get outside, get outdoors, fresh air. So so what happened? <laughs> what happened to the I Gamecocks, John? I mean, come on, man. I don't know. I don't know. I've got a call into Will Muschamp. He hasn't returned my phone call. Ouch, ouch. I know. It's Tough. painful. Painful yeah. to have a repeat of previous failures couple seasons yeah that's right but you yeah. guys had a great game Looked yeah really good. clemson you know my album on them and yeah, yeah. We're, we're we're pretty excited georgia looked good as well they're playing uh, a big game this weekend mississippi state and 
you know, Georgia Tech, I think, was off. I, I think there's some hurricane stuff going on with them. Yeah, so, we um, got Boston College this weekend. Yeah, We're all the area to, teams are playing this week. Hoping to continue the role. So, uh, yeah, but we'll keep talking about Moving this. Moving right you know, along. I think it's going to be we, a great season. We have for a great us. financial fact. We do. I'm we'll, just saying. All right, that's true. Okay, we'll move on to the financial fact of the week because obviously there's one – Carolina grad here doesn't want to talk about football. That's right. I'm done with football for the uh, for the week, maybe for the year. But um, yeah, this is interesting, Steve. October is a uh, uh, historically has been a pretty volatile month, both on the positive side as well as the negative side. And in in fact, the best three gains for the S and P 500 in the last 67 years have occurred in October. And wow. five of the seven largest losses by percentage. Um, for the S&P over that same time frame have also occurred in October. So it's been kind of a volatile month. Yeah, I think if you went back to 2008, uh, a lot of those down markets probably fell in that month. Yeah, but historically, the last quarter of the year is the best quarter of the year. Historically, right. You you look at the whole big picture here, there's a good chance, you know, the last quarter will will be positive and will be – Better than average. Yeah, you've got the holidays and Santa Claus rally and things like that. So never make decisions based on time of the year and investing and so forth. But this no. is just an interesting, you know, it is in- fact. interesting fact. It is. So could be some excitement in October based on history. Yeah, not in football. But uh, speaking of exciting, that leads us right up here to our first topic, and that is the hot stocks that can make you rich. Man. But they, but they probably won't. But they probably won't. <laughs> yeah, right. Great New York Times article here. Yeah, this uh, this is um, really good. Jeff Sommer wrote this and uh, really is a very detailed uh, view of individual stocks and, and why it can be very hazardous uh, to your financial health. I mean, you may not want to hear that right now. The stock market is regularly hitting new highs. As a matter of fact, we see you know, the S&P 500 and the Dow and the NASDAQ doing very, very well. You know, some of them are up, you know, 6% uh, to 8% this year. And over the last 12 months, uh, over 12%. So that's been a very, very good run. And what's more, you know, big bets on hot stocks uh, are generating enormous gains. There are two companies in the S&P 500, uh, the biotechnology company and then also a video game developer. Uh, they've each returned about 50% to their fortunate shareholders this year. So no question about it. If you pick a stock that's sizzling at the right time, you can become wealthy. I mean, you know, if you put enough money into it. Oh, if you uh, hit the right apple, you know, at the right right. time, it just explodes and, you know, but gosh, you got to be incredibly lucky. Yeah. And so before you jump headlong into stock picking, you you may want to consider the odds. And this is where it's really interesting. It's not just the bull markets like this one that eventually come to an end. It's, it's a, it's a study that has shown um, this gentleman from uh, Arizona State. He demonstrates persuasively that while investing in the overall stock market makes sense, the obstacles facing individual stock pickers are formidable, and it's uh, much less risky to invest in mutual funds, right? And so we're going to share some of the stats with you here that he found out through these studies, and it's, it's very, very detailed. Yeah, Professor Bessenbinder, I believe is the way he <laughs> pronounced this, uh, at Arizona State University. Very interesting study he did here. You know, and working um, with the uh, uh, provocative title, Do Stocks Outperform Treasury Bills? Um, what he found was that individual stocks kind of resemble lottery tickets. Hmm. Very small percentage of winning stocks have done amazing um, but when the gains and losses are all tallied up over their lifetime, most stocks haven't earned any money at all. Interesting. Never, Which, never would have expected that. 
It's amazing. I mean, he went back to 1926, and he says that 58% of individual stocks failed to outperform one-month treasury bills over their lifetime. Yeah, it's a low, very low bar. Low, low, bar, low <clears throat> bar, and over half of them did not equal treasury bills, um, he found. Um, so it's very low bar. I mean, given the piddly returns of treasury bills, which are now yielding less than 1%, um, so I don't know what gives about that, John. Yeah, he found that 4%, a mere 4% of the stocks in the entire market, um, stocks like Exxon, Mobil, and uh, GE, and Apple, and Microsoft, IBM, they accounted for all the net returns between 1926 and 2015. So let me say that again, 4% of the stocks accounted for 100% of the returns. Yeah, we've cited that before, you know, statistics like that. It's amazing that such a minute percentage of the stocks out there account for all the returns. Mm-hmm. So if you don't get your share of those few stocks, you're, you're, you're toast. You're toast. Yeah. I mean, you are not going to do very well. So stock picking is very hazardous. Absolutely. And, and by contrast, I mean, the most common single result for an individual stock over that time period, 1926 to 2015, was a return of nearly a negative 100%, almost a total loss. So, you know, that's where it's very, very dangerous. If you if you hit on the 96%, um, the odds are certainly stacked against you for not doing very well. And and all that gloom about individual stocks may seem counterintuitive. I mean, after all, it's, it's said that stocks outperform bonds over the long haul. That's why long-term investors are generally advised to hold stocks in their portfolios. The problem is that rosy long-term outlook for stocks as opposed to bonds is based entirely on the big picture. So when you start looking more closely, uh, the details, the individual stocks is very, you know, disheartening. Yeah, I mean, using this database at the University of Chicago known as CRISP um, for the Center for Research for Security Prices, uh, Professor Bessenbinder surveyed virtually every single listed stock um, on the American market from July 1926 through December 2015, so he went way back, I mean, over 80 years here, and he compared uh, their returns with those of one-month treasury bills over short periods of time, as short as one month, and over the entire stretch. Um, so pretty amazing yeah, a lot breadth of, data. of his study here. A lot of data, and, and viewed as a single unit, the typical stock does not outperform the, the T-bills. And But if you take them as a whole, Steve, like, you know, you take all the, the stocks together, the overall stock market certainly beat bonds and treasury bills by a wide margin. You start looking at the data, and since 1928, stocks returned about 9.5% um, annualized compared to about 4.9% for, for treasury bonds, 10-year treasury bonds, and 3.5% for uh, T-bills. Um, so in that horse race, stocks won by a mile, but you had to own the market. It wasn't trying to pick That's out the four percent, and you know many many studies have shown that stocks outperform bonds overall. And he says he doesn't question that data at, at all. But when you start looking at individual stocks, very very hazardous to your financial health if you start trying to use that as your sole strategy. Yeah. So the question is, how can these two sets of, of facts be true? You know, the underperformance of a typical stock and the outperformance of the overall stock market. How can they both be correct? Um, and it's because of a relatively handful, small handful of stocks that tend to outperform all others by a mile, by tremendous amounts. It's, it's kind of like us saying that you, me, and eight other people combined with Warren Buffett 
our average income's over a million dollars a year. <laughs> That's right. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the average looks good, but there's only one of us that, right. that you know, really skews that average, pulling right? Pulling everybody up. Just pulling everybody else up, you know? So, uh, so the median income would not be nearly that high. And it's the same thing when your statistics can be very deceiving. You know, there's, there's a technical explanation for this. Um, the language and statistics is the stock market generally has a positive skew, <clears throat> meaning the relatively very small number of outliers like Exxon, Apple, they have such great returns that they pull up the average stock, which has a mediocre showing. To put it another way, the average return is much higher than the median or typical return. You know, yeah, I mean, one stock can have a thousand percent you know mm-hmm. gain but yet you know the losers can only lose a hundred percent that's right that's you know? right so you start averaging all this together and the few that that have you know a ten thousand percent gain skew the averages mm-hmm. very high yes yeah, the four percent of stocks that actually carry the return that's interesting so what, what does this all mean for 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 you for the you know typical investor it does not imply that stock picking can't be successful or that it's wrong for those to do it with their eyes wide open. Um, some people who pick the right stocks can have lottery-like returns, but uh, you know you want to be careful with that. Maybe you peel off a small portion of your your assets and you go do some stock picking, but but generally, you know, you, you got to stick with um, with uh, index mutual funds. You know, have a very wide diversified portfolio of bonds and and stocks and. Um, you know, again, don't use stock picking as the the only strategy that you have. Yeah, you want to be well diversified, you know, and and that's a lot less risky strategy. Although investing in stocks always involves risk, you know, the stock market certainly goes up and down and can go through some very long, deep bear markets, um, you know, like we've seen in the past here in the past 10 years. But, you know, when stocks have been rising for a long while, I mean, they, they do tend to pull back where we have corrections. Um, but diversification is the way to, to get your portion of those returns for those small number of companies that do extraordinary and, and do pull the overall average of the market up. So you want to make sure you're well diversified and you capture the return of those number of small number of stocks that, that pull up the overall market. Yeah. So hot stocks can make you rich, but probably won't probably won't <laughs> so, so stay diversified don't do it. that's yeah. the moral of the story here great topic okay and that leads us up here to the question of the week yes yeah, question is uh, um, clients going through a divorce what are the key items they should focus on um, certainly you know a lot of a lot of um, stressful uh, feeling situations mm-hmm. as you go through a divorce uh, certainly um, from a financial standpoint you know um, you got to think about having a way to pay bills so some cash an emergency fund um, I, we certainly would recommend that you have a support group, um, kind of help you through this lawyers, uh, to help you sit down with your financial advisor, help them craft a plan. And, um, you know, there it's, it's tough. These are, these are challenging times. And a lot of times, um, you know, people are, it's a very stressful time in their, in their lives. Yes. So, but having some cash, um, to pay the bills as you're going through that process will alleviate, um, some of the stress. Absolutely. And then once you get it all settled, then it's time to come up with a new plan. Mm-hmm. You know, it's time to, to, to paint a picture forward, you know, to get you to retirement, to get you to your, your goals and come up with a plan for managing your cash flow, for building up an emergency fund, for saving for retirement, saving for the future. 
um, you know, it can be done. You just have to put the pieces back together and, and you know, build a new plan um, to get you where you want to go. And we so, unfortunately have to do that occasionally, right? We have certainly. clients that go through this process and meet people that, that are struggling. They've never dealt with money before, so they need kind of a second opinion. So we're certainly open to do that if you ever need help. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great question of the week. And that leads up to our next topic here, and that is the mistakes to avoid with your IRA. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of mistakes can kind of crop up, you know, during the accumulation phase when you're saving money for retirement. Um, but particularly when you start taking distributions for retirement, when you start rolling money over. And this is an article out of Morningstar. <clears throat> um, Ben's, I believe, is the author of this. And, um, you know, it's some great information because funding an IRA may seem like one of the simplest financial tasks. And you pick your provider, you send in your money, you choose your investments, you're done, right? But when you start looking at the IRS publication for all the rules surrounding IRAs, there's like 114 pages of it. Wow, that so, sounds fun. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. You know, there are two key types of IRAs that you have to choose from. First, there's, the, of course, the traditional IRA that we're all familiar with, and then there's the Roth IRA. Um, so those are the two basic subtypes. But then there's also, you know, deductible and non-deductible IRAs that can be mixed up in the traditional IRA. You know, not to mention all the rules regarding rollovers, conversions, recharacterizations. And then, you know, when you start taking IRA withdrawals in retirement, it gets even more complicated. You know, um, there are more kooky rules there, too. Um, but you also can run into problems with an IRA at other times as well. You may... Um, know the obvious IRA mistakes, such as pulling money out before you're age 59 and a half and incurring a 10% penalty. Um, but here are some of the other IRA pitfalls that might be less familiar, but equally harmful over time. So first mistake here is not taking full advantage of the tax benefits. Um, this is kind of an obvious one, but one of the key benefits of any type of IRA, whether it's a Roth or a traditional, is the ability to avoid taxes as the money grows. Um, it's tax deferral. So you hold stocks, bonds in a taxable account, you're likely to receive taxable income, capital gain distributions each year. So you have to pay tax on the dividends and the interest and everything, all the gains that it creates each year that are realized in your typical taxable account. But if you hold that those same assets in an IRA and, you know, by contrast, you won't owe any taxes on those until you take the money out. If it's a regular IRA or if it's a Roth IRA, um, they'll be tax free when you take it out after age 59 and a half. So that gives you the golden opportunity to stash the high income producing assets such as bonds and dividend paying stocks and, you know, even realize gains inside um, your IRA, inside an air, uh, a vehicle that will be totally tax deferred until you start taking the money out. And what that means is that you're going to have more money in there building, building returns, compounding, so you, because you don't have to pay the tax out of the portfolio as you go. Yeah, not, not paying taxes is a good thing. It's a very good thing. But, you know, mistake number two is, um, you know, making sure that you're dogmatic about the asset location. And it generally does make sense to place income-producing assets in an IRA, um, but you may have good reasons to do otherwise. Um, one of the key, key considerations is, is when do you expect to need 
the money? When are you going to spend it? If you're a young accumulator, your IRA should be stock heavy, uh, more than likely. And uh, really, there's no reason to go out of your way to add income producers into the mix. Meanwhile, you know, if you're 35 years old, you're holding bonds to maybe fund a remodeling project, um, you probably want to put them in a taxable account where you can, um, you know, access it really at any point. Um, have to pay some taxes on it, but the liquidity there is more important. Yeah, exactly. So you have more flexibility, more more ways to allocate your assets inside of an IRA. And then also, if you're going to pull money out for living expenses from a taxable account, you know, it doesn't make sense to have all of your bonds sitting in your IRA. Um, you know, since bonds are pretty liquid and they might be helpful in your taxable account too, because they're also um, low risk, you know, so they won't be down when you pull them out. So, you know, so you need to take a look at your overall allocation if you have short-term money that's in a taxable account, you might want to allocate, you know, the bonds and the conservative stuff to that account. Um, you might want to allocate your more aggressive type growth funds to your IRAs um, so that they grow in a tax-deferred environment or tax-free environment like a Roth. So, um, you know, it's uh, uh, you just need to be mindful about your, your where you put your assets. And so the next mistake here, though, is not giving due care to the beneficiaries, the IRA beneficiaries. The importance of beneficiary designations actually, you know, trump any other bequests. So they're very, very important. Um, you know, if you've laid out your estate plan, then what you'll find is that the IRA beneficiaries will bypass your your will. They go directly to your beneficiaries. So if you fill out the forms without a second thought, like most people do, naming the beneficiaries for an IRA, it's it's a lot more complicated than it seems. You know, as with any beneficiary designation, it's important to keep your IRA beneficiary designations up to date as the situation changes, like marriages, divorces, parents passing away, and so forth. I mean, most people will name their spouses as their IRA beneficiaries, and when the account owner dies, their spouse can roll over their assets into their own IRA. But meanwhile, if you name your estate as your beneficiary of an IRA, it usually results in foregone tax advantages. So you need to be careful about how you list your beneficiaries. You can also name a trust as your designated beneficiary. Um and if the trust is designed properly, then the spouse can still take RMDs, but you can control where the money goes after after you pass away inside the trust. So, you know, there are lots of options there. You want to be careful about how you name beneficiaries with your retirement accounts. Yeah, mistake number four here is uh, triggering a tax bill on a Roth uh, IRA withdrawal, which sounds kind of odd because one of the key benefits of funding the Roth is that you can pull it out tax and penalty-free um, you know, Roth is a great accumulator for, for people who um, worry about tying up their assets for a long time. It's possible to withdraw the contributions at any time for any reason without triggering taxes or a penalty. However, it gets a lot more complicated when you start talking about the investment earnings um, or if you've had some conversions, there's a five-year rule associated with it. But just got to be careful when you're pulling the money out that it's not the earnings piece of it within five years, that it's actually the uh, contributions. Yeah, that's a good point. And the next one here is triggering a tax bill on an indirect rollover. Um, when it comes to financial tasks that might crop up on your to-do list during your investment career, an IRA ranks on kind of the easy scale of difficulty, but it's still possible to, to mess up on a rollover. 
Um, one of the key rules to keep in mind is that if you're rolling money over from a former employer's 401k to an IRA, there is a 60-day rule, and you have 60 days to complete an indirect rollover. If you don't complete the rollover within 60 days, then and if you're younger than 59 and a half, the amount will be treated as an early distribution and not only will be subject to taxes, but it will also be subject to a 10% penalty. So that's why it's a good idea to have your providers deal directly one-on-one with your 401k provider and your, your IRA custodian. Um, so do a direct rollover. Don't do an indirect rollover. That way you'll never put your hands on the money and the financial services providers know, you know how to complete that rollover in a timely fashion to avoid that problem. Next one here is letting your brokerage or fund company call the shots on your RMDs. Um, you don't want to assume that that they're getting the amounts exactly right on your RMDs. because So the bottom line is you need to double check it because you can have RMDs on other IRAs that are not held at the same custodian that are held elsewhere. <laughs> So you want to double check your RMDs, you know, look behind your provider for your IRA or your custodian, make sure the RMDs are correct and that you're taking all of your RMDs each year, because if you don't, there's a pretty significant penalty, which you're going to talk about next. That's right. Yeah. If you fail to take the RMD or you don't do the correct calculation in the amount, you'll be on the hook for a 50% penalty. And, um, you know, sometimes an RMD is missed, um, you know, perhaps you were ill or, uh, perhaps your your parent was uh, in the early stages of dementia. Um, so there's some different reasons why, you know, someone wouldn't take an RMD. Well, you can actually um, appeal that. You have to file a, um, a form 5329 to, to do that. But I tell you, the 50% excise, the tax on that, if you don't do it right, is a big, it's a big penalty. You got to be careful with that. It's a huge penalty. You want to make sure you avoid that at all costs. So very important. And then the last one here is spending RMDs that you don't need. Yeah, in addition to the taxes on RMDs, many retirees, they will, um, you know, look at the distributions they're taking as, as uh, you know, extra income. And, um, you know, they'll go ahead and spend the money rather than reinvest that money. But you can take those RMDs. You can reinvest it. You don't have to spend it. You can invest it. Um, if you're still working, you can you know, contribute to, uh, you know, another investment account. You can still contribute to 401k with the money if you're still working. Um, so don't necessarily just go out and spend your RMDs. Make sure you take that money, you're wise about it, reinvest it in a taxable account if need be. Let that money grow until you really need it so it can continue to compound and, and build up for your future. So good topic here. And that leads us up here to our final topic, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, this um, has to do with beneficiaries. We talked about that just a minute ago, but uh, a little different slant. Um, if you use a contingent beneficiary on your, your IRA accounts, um, you can create what is called a stretch IRA. And that just means that you're, you're extending the life of the IRA. So as an example, let's say you have your spouse as a primary beneficiary and you put your kids as the contingent beneficiaries. Um, let's say both of your um, you and your wife uh, or spouse pass away, it's going to go to the kids, and then they have to take distributions over their lifetime. So not only does the IRA have a chance to grow you know, tax-deferred over your lifetime, but then the kids have tax-deferred growth, and they're having to pull a little bit out. But it can be decades and decades, and that IRA can significantly increase in size. 
Yeah, very important strategy. You want to make sure you have contingent beneficiaries listed on your 401ks and your IRAs so they can potentially pull that money out over their lifetime if your spouse predeceases you. So great prescription of the week. All right, and that's been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net. Or give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. Children of all ages. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVistor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 